I'm Debbie Georges. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to be talking about my Brett Baer interview, Ilhan, Bernie, and cultural Marxism, decriminalizing crime, California and Texas, the price paid for sanctuary cities, and a poll says Hillary would defeat Donald Trump. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Last Friday, on my non-show day, we had a great event in our home. We invited, we had Brett Baer come and speak. He is, as you all know likely, the Fox News host um, and a prolific writer. This was the, he did a book talk at our house and, and then uh, sold his books. But this is the book I want to share with you that uh, I interviewed him about. It is called Three Days at the Brink, FDR's Daring Gamble to Win World War II. So first, I'll just show you a quick map, the very wonderful, back from vacation. If you can show our listeners, we have some quick pictures from the event at our home. There's Brett Baer in our um, area where we do interviews in our home. And, uh, you know, it was fun to interview him. He's a really uh, just friendly, nice, thoughtful guy. And that's my husband and myself with Brett Baer. Okay, I want to tell you, though, the lessons for America Can We Talk that came from this book review. The book is basically about the Tehran Conference, which was a conference in 1943 held between FDR, Winston Churchill, and Joseph Stalin. The three of them got together in Tehran to discuss what they were going to do, what the world was going to do to stop Hitler, to stop the Nazi expansion, as in 1943 was wildly ongoing. There had been pressure from Stalin to push the Allied forces, the uh, Brits and America and others, to do a front pushing in as ultimately was done on D-Day, of pushing in toward France. Uh, the Allies had been worried prior to that time. They didn't have sufficient troops. Obviously, America's hung up working in the Pacific, trying to fight the Japanese. But the conference, obviously fraught with all sorts of um, uh, on the unknowns, the concerns, and, and honestly, a little bit, a lot of mistrust between Churchill and FDR as opposed to Stalin. Stalin at that point in 1943 had already literally killed millions and millions of his own people. Churchill and, and FDR knew this about Stalin, but they needed him. So it's a really, it's a great book, a great read, but the lessons I want to share with you for America Can We Talk from that uh, event and from the book really are, are several. One is, it is a tremendous asset to understand history. For the American people to understand history, understand what all the consequences were, the various choices they made, the decision finally to go ahead with D-Day, which was of course one of the most heroic and uh, you know, overwhelmingly not not it was a, it was a desperate and very very dangerous day for the American troops uh, and the other allies and, and just tremendous loss of life. That real patriotism that just said, we're going to go in and we're going to do this and we recognize many of us won't make it out. Those young men, you know, going to beaches of Normandy had no idea if they'd make it out. But that patriotism, that fervor, that recognize that recognition sometimes 
it is, there is something worth fighting for that may even take your own life. Sometimes you have to stand up for liberty. The other lesson is just because we haven't been taught these things in public schools, sadly, in the recent decades, we've had, we'll be talking about later in the show, we've had kind of an onslaught in the American uh, culture, in our public schools, in academia, that demeans American history, that fails to glorify and fails to even tell the accurate story of the greatness of America, what the, uh, what the American people and the American military have done over uh, decades in defending freedom in this world. We don't teach that enough in public schools. And because we do not have sufficient education in the public schools over what Americans have done in history, we have Americans today too easily duped into thinking America is an imperial power, is a bad country, has a bad history. The ability of the American left to sell socialism in this country is due directly to our failure to educate our students about the virtues, the greatness of freedom, what freedom has wrought in this country, what free markets have wrought, what bravery and standing up for liberty has brought to this country. Another point that got discussed at great length, and I'll just you know, we assume in our country, okay, so we have millennials who are ignorant and don't know a thing about American history, do not have a sense of America's greatness. We have members of Congress who don't know America's history, don't understand America's greatness, don't understand the Constitution, don't recognize if you do not follow and uphold the Constitution, this whole extraordinary experiment in human liberty will fail. We have members of Congress just as ignorant as young millennials. In fact, senior members of the Senate, such as Bernie Sanders, no clue about the virtue and greatness of America's history, no clue about the importance of standing up for liberty and that sometimes liberty is worth fighting for and that there is a difference between the freedom and the abundance and greatness and goodness of America and the repression and the evil and the horror of socialism and communism because people don't know that they get sucked into really, really bad ideas. Closing out this first five on Brett Baer, I wanna encourage you, not just this book, but Brett Baer actually also wrote, uh, this is his third book, he wrote Three Days in January, Dwight Eisenhower's Final Mission, he wrote Three Days in Moscow, Ronald Reagan and the Fall of the Soviet Empire, and now this book that I got to interview him about, Three Days at the Brink, FDR's Daring Gamble to Win World War II. And this Christmas time, this most recent book is also available in a young readers format. And I guess I haven't seen them, but Brett Bear was telling the people at our home on Friday, available as a set or individually books that are retell these stories at the grade level at basically eight to 13 years old. So young readers can begin to grasp the importance of America's history. It was a really um, exciting and, and kind of a, America affirming conversation to recognize that there's a, a tremendous amount of American history not known that is just wrapped up in all the um, kind of old glory days we ignore and don't take and don't remember well enough and don't honor well enough that we end up in a country where we could actually think that maybe socialism and communism are great answers. They are not. They are the source of human misery. Um, I want to turn now and talk about Ilhan. Speaking of people who bring human misery and Senator um, Bernie Sanders running for president, Ilhan Omar, Bernie and cultural Marxism is what I wanted to call this segment. I want to start with a very wonderful Matt is back um, after vacation and I have a clip. This is a clip from a rally in Minnesota 
And in Minnesota, Bernie Sanders, Democrat senator, now running for president again, and he gave a rally, um, he had a rally in Minnesota. Ilhan Omar, the uh, Democrat uh, first-term Muslim uh, immigrant from Somalia, uh, Muslim refugee, Somalian Democrat, member of the U.S. Congress, gave this introduction to Bernie Sanders. And before you start it, Matt, one more thing I want to say. If you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and on the homepage under shows, at the top of the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, there's a link to this little blurb, but there's actually, it actually links to her, the entire um, presentation. It was a very long thing, but she spoke to this crowd of hysterically, exuberantly excited Minnesotans and tore down everything you can imagine about America's history. We're gonna play just one little segment of her introduction, but I urge you to listen to the whole thing if you can. But here she is, Ilhan Omar, introducing Bernie Sanders. We realize that that recognition isn't about punishing our political foes, but leading within a moral obligation. I am beyond honored and excited for a president who will fight against Western imperialism. Okay, she's introducing the man who would be president, Bernie Sanders. And in the, I'm gonna give you in a moment the other things she had to say, but I wanna put it in the context of cultural Marxism in just a moment. She's introducing this guy who wants to be president by telling him, telling the audience who were hysterically on their feet cheering and clapping that she wanted to stand with Bernie Sanders because he is going to stand against Western imperialism. Other little gems from her introduction of her introduction that Bernie Sanders including included the argument that we need to simply welcome all refugees. If people come in caravans, they want to come to our country, we must let them in. We must welcome all refugees. No discussion of how in the world what their status is, how in the world we're going to actually assimilate them, how in the world we're going to provide them a path forward in America, except of course becoming recipients of welfare. No discussion of what citizenship standards they, if any, if any may apply. No notion of what the refugee law says and whether any of these people who want to cross our border meet the refugee st uh, standards in law. It was basically, if they want to come here, they can come. She also talked about basing America's foreign policy on an understanding of universal rights. She never defined that term, but she used it over and over and over, universal rights, which basically I'm gonna tell you folks, means anything the left wants to do is going to be described as a universal right. She talked about free healthcare for all as a, a basic human universal right. That, and, and I'm telling you, everything she said, they were on their feet chanting and clapping and cheering and waving Bernie signs. The idea that free healthcare for everybody is a right. The last thing I'll tell you that she mentioned, and I, I really do encourage you to go listen to the introduction yourself. I mean, it will be upsetting, but I'm getting at the idea. This is not someone ranting and she was she was ranting and raving like a left-wing lunatic but they had an enormous an enormous venue packed to the gills and people 
exuberantly excited, on their feet, screaming and cheering. The last specific I want to give you that she had to say that I just found very troubling, and uh, I, I think all of us should really take serious pause and think about, is you know how when there are Trump rallies and sometimes people will, will kind of just kind of because of something he's saying or some issue he's discussing, they'll almost spontaneously go into a chant of USA, USA. They're cheering for America. You know what they were chanting at Bernie Sanders conference, at his big event led by Ilhan Omar? Green New Deal. Green New Deal. We've talked about that in the show. The Green New Deal has almost nothing to do with the environment. It's given the name green because then you get a whole bunch of leftists going, oh yeah, yeah, green, I'm green, I love green. The Green New Deal is, and you need to read it yourself if you, if you doubt an iota what I'm telling you, the Green New Deal is simply the communist takeover of America. It is nothing less. It is a complete control over America's economy, over every aspect of American life, it is a control over housing, control over income, control of every aspect of human life. And this audience, hopefully ignorantly, was chanting Green New Deal. Did it twice in the portion of the thing that I listened to. So I want to get at today, not what's so wrong with Bernie Sanders or Ilhan Omar, but I want to talk about how did we get here? How do we get to a place in 2019 in America that a Democrat socialist is a serious contender for president. He can produce crowds of the size, you could, if you watch the video, you see it was a very big audience. How did we get here to where you have someone running for the presidency who's promising to eliminate all college debt, make college free, pay for your health care. What Bernie Sanders, he may use a friendly sounding term like democratic socialism because that makes it sound nicer. That's not really the evil of socialism is democratic socialism. What Bernie Sanders would do if he won the presidency and put in place the policies he wanted to have, America would be gone. I, you might say that's a little bit of hyperbole, don't you think? No, if he got his way, if he got everything he wanted, the freedom of America would be gone. Our ability to live in comfort because we have actual access to affordable energy that allows us to keep our homes warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Our ability to travel freely because we have cars to be eliminated by the Green New Deal. Can't have cars, a lot of talk about no need for people to have private cars. Certainly can't have airplanes. You can't be flying in airplanes, they pollute. This is a complete, complete, and I'm not using the word lightly, communist takeover of America in the form of a very friendly sounding Democrat socialist. And I wanna talk about how we got here in the context of talking about what about cultural Marxism. Now, many of you, I, I, I can tell you from the emails I get and the comments I get, I know that you're all, that many of our listeners are very, very well informed. You are not people who are just fly by night political types, seriously well informed, seriously concerned about America, seriously patriotic and loving the idea of America and the idea of liberty upon which America was founded. I know you're serious patriots, and so you've probably heard the term cultural Marxism but I wanna walk through these ideas just to get you to understand the reason Ilhan Omar is able to stand on a stage 
and tout and get just an enormous amount of excitement out of the audience by claiming we're going to take over the healthcare system, we're going to make healthcare free for all, we're going to take over the education system. And so she didn't go on this plank, but she said she endorses Bernie Sanders, who does do this. You know, all college is free, all college debt. Uh, is, is is your loan is immediately eliminated, is fixed, is taken away. It is simply, this is a person in the form of Bernie Sanders telling you he will take complete control of America. He will take complete control of the economic system. He'll take complete control of the education system, of the of the uh, of housing. Oh, his plans for housing scare you to death. But I want to talk about cultural Marxism, what that term means. People throw around the term cultural Marxism in, in a little bit of a um, cavalier way sometimes. And I want to be sure what you to get at because it helps understand how we got helps us understand how we got here. So we had Karl Marx, of course, and he and his buddy Engels wrote the Communist Manifesto in 1848. Karl Marx actually thought that once he and Engels, pretty much two unemployed people, never did a thing in their lives, but two of them wrote this communist manifesto, they thought that once they exposed how the proletariat, the working people, were being repressed by the bourgeoisie, you know, the middle class, the property owners, there would be a spontaneous uprising around the world that the working people of the world would, would lock arms, would unite, would explode in revolution. That once the Communist Manifesto is out there, that people all over the world would say, oh my gosh, we've been repressed. We stand up. We want communism. We stand up. We're going to be the workers' uh, revolution. We want, a, a, the first step is socialism. This is what he thought. Karl Marx thought what happened. Reality dawned on him and his followers very quickly when they realized that actually the only place where the socialist idea, the idea of the government owning the means of production, the government owning everything, the only places it was working was where there was a massive, violent, repressive takeover by the small cadre of socialists and communists leading it and forcing it on the people. The people were not interested. The people became victimized is what happened. So you had the, the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia in 1917. You had you know, Stalin very early on involved there, not at the, right, at the time, but shortly afterwards. By the time, by the way, you get to the Tehran Conference, 1943, Stalin's been in charge for whatever number of years it was, and Stalin had killed millions of his own people. Interestingly, by the way, one thing in Brett Barra's book, because Stalin first talked about how he loved Marxism and he wanted to help the people, lift the people up, he had people shocked. I mean, his followers could not believe that Stalin, this great guy, was killing his own people. He's supposed to love the people. How could he be doing this? But what dawned on the lovers of the theory of socialism and communism and under the Communist Manifesto was that nobody really wanted this idea. And the only way to impose this idea, the only way to force this idea into cultures and countries in this world was pure, brute, military, violent force. And this shocked people, people who thought that Marx and, and Engels had figured everything out, and we're all going to be free, and it's going to be wonderful, and everything's going to be fair and wonderful and great. They could not believe the idea that the most communist successes that occurred were not spontaneous uprisings, but at, as in terms of one author, the point of a bayonet. 
even in Russia. Russia did not, there was not a exuberant spread of a workers' revolt and workers' rights that spread communism from Russia into the Eastern Bloc countries. It was, again, pure brute force. So along comes the thinkers who can't believe people can't see the brilliance of socialism and communism and having the government own everything, the people own everything, and just shocked by the idea that actually what was happening was government became horribly repressive, that the capitalist system was standing out as a beacon of freedom and opportunity and growth for people, and they want to find a way, these followers of Marx want to find a way to force this idea of socialism into Western cultures rooted in liberty, rooted in freedom, rooted in free markets. So the idea of, and the entity, you heard this referred to, I'm sure, in this show and other shows, the Frankfurt School, which was just, a, a, it was a, a school within in a university in Germany, the Goethe University in Germany, Goethe University in Germany, and it was a Frankfurt School. These are left-wing academ academicians. You know, these are uh, Grom Gramsci, Marcuse, Adorno, Horkheimer, Brecht. These people were socialists who came up with the idea that because, that maybe Marx just got it wrong, that maybe instead of forcing, or maybe not, instead of expecting people to get the brilliance of socialism and immediately throw off the proletariat and immediately demand the, the socialists take over their countries, which wasn't happening anywhere. They thought, well, okay, instead, maybe we have to do, we have to introduce the idea, we have to soften the ground, we have to soften the, you know, till the earth, soften the ground in these free countries by takeover, and their term was the long march through the institutions of the West, the long march through the institutions of the West. What these radical left-wing socialists slash communists, and don't get hung up in some prissy distinction between socialism and communism, it's, just, it's, it's the same thing. Socialism is the economic system communists use. Communists have just managed to take over a country, so you can't get rid of them. And this is why Bernie Sanders thinks he can sell democratic socialism, because we're going to vote it in. But believe me, if we vote it in, we'll never get rid of it. But back to what these Frankfurt School people did. They decided to do a broad-based attack on all the traditional Western institutions in, in Western society particularly in America. So universities, the media, publishing, motion pictures, church, family, the entire idea was to weave its way into Western culture, especially in America, and through the planting of academicians, people who were leaders and, and, and thought leaders, people who would emerge in communities as political leaders, people who invaded academia at, at all sorts of level, not just colleges, but colleges was the main thing, graduate schools and on down from you know the high schools down into now it's in the kindergarten level, the way we think about things, was the idea of bringing about the destruction of the belief and the idea of America, the ideas of Western civilization, the ideas upon which America was founded, the ideas of the freedom of the individual, the ideas of the importance of the church and, and place of God in society, that that was a source of morals and a source of law and a source of respect, the idea of families who are intact, who teach their children these values. So you spread Western civilization, Western culture through families. It was at this Frankfurt School Cultural Marxism was the idea, if you can destroy the belief in, the respect for 
Western culture, Western civilization through pushing and pushing and pushing against through cultural arguments and they attack things like the ideas of national sovereignty as being, and, and look what we're talking about the border today, that the left is arguing who needs national sovereignty, why do we have to have borders, what difference does it make? sexual mores, they actually talked about pushing the idea. Instead of having intact family units and some sense of propriety based on the teachings of many faiths, including Christianity and Judaism, abandoning sexual mores, turning women against men, turning people, cultivating a victim class. This is what the left is and creates, a perpetual victim class, encouraging people to see their culture, their country, America as a cultural oppressor. So you had women, racial minorities, immigrants, homosexuals, you know, gays, the LGBT movement, LGBTQ movement, Muslims. The whole idea was to implant of this cultural Marxism, implant in the minds of Americans the idea that you are oppressed, that America is a bad place. It has a history of repression. It's a horrible country that has done so much harm to the world and what you're doing is undermining, you're tearing America out at the roots in the minds of many people. We did not, we were not alert to it in this country. We didn't have sufficient awareness in academia, in our movies, in our cultures. Churches were a part of it. You know, this is, this is exactly Soros, George Soros today, is part of funding this ongoing cultural, cultural Marxism in this country. This weeding away, this destruction of, this challenging, intellectual challenging and mockery and derision, mocking the idea that, of America being a good country and mocking the idea of America's foundations. This has been ongoing since this Frankfurt School got the idea planted in America. And the, the anti-American leftists in this country have taken up these ideas of cultural Marxism, destroying the love of America, the reverence for the ideas that founded America, the reverence for the idea of constitution and the rule of law, and the notion of the primacy of the family in the country, and the primacy of morals rooted in the Bible, the, the primacy of churches as a, having a significant place in our country, in the institutions of our country, and shaping ideas and values. The whole idea idea was by post-war, by post-World War II, cultural Marxism had, had a wide-ranging agenda of, and I'm going to read you this language from one piece, agenda of destruction aimed to destroy the family, denying the specific roles of the father and mother, advocating the teaching of sex and homosexuality to children, mobilization of women as revolutionaries against men through aggressive feminism, large-scale immigration to abolish national identity, dependency on the state, and large, so you have large government programs with, with endless uh, and growing dependency on the government, state benefits, control um, of the media. What we've been watching in our lifetimes is the ongoing push of the cultural Marxism that started, that started back in the Frankfurt School with the idea when the, the depressed followers of Marx realized, wow, no one really likes this idea of socialism. So once you have society so divided, as the Marxists have done this country, the cultural Marxism have culti Marxists who have cultivated a sense of suspicion, victimhood, resentment, this has become what the cultural Marxists started with the Frankfurt School has become today's Democrat Party mission, today's Democrat Party platform. There is no longer any distinction. 
what the left does in this country through Bernie Sanders, through other Democrat leaders, through the way they write, they write their speeches, to the arguments they make in Congress, it is the utter destruction of America. And that, my friends, is what is on the ballot in 2020. This is the reason the small amount of sanity left on the American public, on the American left, those people are kind of excited about Biden, even though he, Joe Biden as a presidential candidate, even though they can't remember what state he's in, he makes repeated, not just occasional blunder, forgot what day it was or forgot what city I'm in, repeated blunders. He's not doing well in terms of keeping his act together, but he's still polling well because many Democrats in this country are starting to realize that the agenda of the Democrat Party in Washington is never, ever to unite America. It is never to encourage the ideas of, the, of, the, of America's founding. It's never to encourage rule of law and limited government and personal responsibility and self-reliance and the American spirit and free enterprise. The left has become the leaders of the cultural Marxism in this country. The Democrat Party is the spearhead of that in this country. So when you listen to Ilhan Omar ranting and raving about everything the government should provide for free, the way socialists always sell their mission to take complete control of a country and a culture and society and a people, they sell it by saying, we want to take care of you. We want to help you. We realize you, do, you need our help. You can't possibly make it on your own. And so they sell their complete tyranny they have in mind with a message of, we care. We want to help. We see you're needy. We, we want you to realize we recognize life isn't fair. Look at all these people around you, these groups around you that all hate you. You are a victim. You are you're marginalized. Nobody cares about you. And the only way you can get what you really deserve is if you get on board with the Democrat Party that will indeed, my friends, take complete control over everything in this country. We are looking at, if you had a Bernie Sanders presidency, and I am not exaggerating, I don't say this lightly, you're looking at the destruction of the very idea of freedom in America. That's what's on the ballot in 2020. Wanna hit a few other stories today? Um, one is decriminalizing crime. Another, another quick thing about, I wanna just hit these about decriminalizing crime. Many people recognized, and you learn if you took Western civilization, or you just learn these things in life, that our, our country's founding was based on Judeo-Christian ideas. We've talked about this show before, on my show before, Not, we had, which includes complete freedom of religion. You can have religion, no religion at all, you can change your religion. The government, but freedom of religion in this country means the government doesn't have an official religion, and the government doesn't interfere in any way with your expression of religion. So that's what religious freedom means. Today, where we are in this country, we have lost the idea. In fact, it has been banished by left-wing cultural Marxism, pummeling away, you know, just chipping away at respect for and love of America. You have the idea that we don't really have any tethering to our ideas of right and wrong, good and evil, what should be the law, when for centuries we recognized that the law, the idea of the law in our country, was born of and sprouted or grew from the Bible, 
from the teachings of the Bible, such things as, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. However, since we have everything being eviscerated by the American left, we now have cities, including my own precious city of Dallas, Texas, where we have passed laws essentially say, you know, well, if you steal, but in, in Dallas, it's only if you steal an item of $750 in value, or say there's 700, 750, whatever. If you steal an item of 700 or 750 or less in value, we're not going to prosecute. We just, you know, we, nothing happens. So I'll tell you a quick story what happened in Dallas before I get to California. Here in Dallas, we had, I had a friend who was at a store, a store that has very high-end designer purses. She's just in there looking around. In, into the store walked a very, very large, surly-looking guy. The two clerks in the store saw the guy come in and they're signaling my friend, get back, get back, get back. He walked in, and these are, I'll just say the brand. Okay, this is Prada. I'll tell you, I have never bought a Prada purse in my life. I have I've never spent that kind of money in a purse, and I don't even, and, and, and I just, just wouldn't be my thing. But my friend was in this store. So the guy walks in, and Prada purses are very, very expensive. He just stuck out one arm, he grabbed a handful of purses, slid them up his arm. He's got five purses in this arm, five purses in this arm, and walked out the door. My friend said to the clerk, Hey, aren't you going to call the police? They said, No, no, we don't call the police. Uh, number one, you know, he obviously stole more than the $750 cap because I think one purse is probably more than $750. But the mindset in Dallas is now so ingrained that they don't even call the police when they see a shoplifter. They probably have on video camera, on security camera. They don't even call. Nope, we have company policy, don't call. My friend left that store, happened to go to another store, which is a, you know, another, not a designer store, but a store people know of. And she went in there and she was telling the clerk in the store, I can't believe it, what just happened to Prada? She tells the story and those clerks said, oh, we don't call the police either. We don't even call. So we have this mindset not rooted in anything other than it's too hard to deal with crime. We cannot possibly spend the time to enforce the law against someone stealing items from a store, so we just magically declare it's not a crime, and then and then nothing happens. It's kind of like you could fix the murder rate if you just you know said, okay, we got rid of all murder laws, and so that it's not against law to murder. Then you could have you know a zero murder rate. Look at our murder rate; it's great because it's not a crime. We have dumbed down the idea of law and property ownership and the idea that the law has to apply in Dallas to the point property owners, store owners are complaining to the city saying, how could you guys do this to us? To the, this, is, this policy, by the way, brought on by our Democrat district attorney. And to the answer is, well, we can't prosecute everything. You know, well, if you're a small business owner in Dallas and you don't, you know, you don't have a big margin, big profit margin, and you have five people come in a day and steal, or 10 people a day and steal from you, you're gonna be driven out of business, which is what is happening in Dallas. Small business owners cannot afford to stay in business because they have theft and they cannot get any, they can't get, they can't get justice, they can't stop it. And of course, the, the volume of, th of thievery, of stealing, is increasing. Why wouldn't you, if you're a criminal mindset anyway, and you discover, hey, you're like, nothing happens to you, why wouldn't you do it? So, same thing in California. California has actually foolishly passed a proposition in, uh, in, I think, 2014, 
Proposition 47 that said the same thing, that if you, if someone steals something more than $900 in value in California, that basically nothing happens. Nothing. So this story, there's a story, again, read it at our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, go down a list of links, this article linked there about stories about people just going into uh, stores, picking up a pair of you know, expensive blue jeans or two of them, walking out, you know, giving them away in the street or selling them on the street, going back in, stealing some more, nothing happens. And my friends, this is how you lead to complete lawlessness. This is how you lose civilization. This is how you lose having a civilized country and society. If you start to say the law doesn't really apply. Contrast that with Rudy Giuliani when he was mayor of New York City and this was in the 1980s and so a police commissioner, the police commissioner in New York, William Bratton and Mayor Rudy Giuliani basically embraced the broken windows theory which was essentially if you prosecute the small things, you send a message, we don't put up with crime. And when you send that message out and you actually prosecute for small crimes, the big crime goes down. Rudy Giuliani cleaned up New York City based on the idea that we're not going to continue to permit small crime. Teaching people that small crime is okay and nothing will happen to you encourages big crime. That's human nature. If you are inclined to do illegal things, to steal, to rob, to take other people's things, and you come to realize the government is not going to stop you, why wouldn't you continue doing more bad things? And this is the loss. Back to this idea of America and Western civilization. This is on the path to losing America not an exaggeration and it's happening all over this country i do want to hit two other quick stories and so i'm just gonna it's kind of related my next topic but the price paid for sanctuary cities um you know sanctuary cities just refers to cities where democrats have decided that the federal laws relating to deporting people who have no legal right to be here will not be enforced in their cities so we have sanctuary cities in texas all over America where Democrat leadership has said, probably the same cities that let you steal and don't prosecute you, but they have sanctuary cities saying essentially, we're not gonna prosecute the sanctuary city, not just we're not gonna prosecute, we're not gonna allow our police departments to turn over people arrested to ICE in order to have them deported, even when we know for sure that they are under a legal deportation order. And to be under a legal deportation order, you had to have finished the entire process we have in America for trying to get sanctuary, for trying to get legal status to be here. These are people who have been through the whole process, they're on the deportation list, and the cities will not cooperate. So, Fairfax County, Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C., used to be a lovely community. Because they got themselves into the, into the sanctuary city business, they now spend city tax dollars um, to defend non-citizens. So the citizens in America, in Fairfax County, pay their taxes, so the county uses those tax dollars to defend the non-citizens from ICE. Think about that. You're paying the government your taxes so they can 
protect someone with no legal right to be here, protect them from having the federal laws be enforced. They have a major issue in the increase in costs in Fairfax County schools because they have so many people. They have now 30% in Fairfax County, but we're not born in this country. I don't know if it's 30% with no legal right to be here, but they have a growing uh, non-citizen population, can't speak English, so they're growing costs in the public schools to educate them, growing burden on all sorts of resources in Fairfax County. And the point of this is the lawlessness, the sanctuary city advocates would say, well, we just, we just have a heart. We just care. We don't wanna have people forced to leave America. They obviously are in need. That's why they're here. Let's help them. But what they're doing is hurting American citizens. American citizens who are paying the taxes that the county's using to defend the non-citizens to hide them from ICE. Two other factoids on this subject. Sanctuary cities are a left-wing device to increase the population in America of illegal aliens so that they can eventually become legal citizens and become Democrat voters. There's no glorious, moral, high-minded mission the left has in creating sanctuary cities. The entire purpose is to grow this population, eventually turn them into legal citizens so they can vote for Democrats. Two other quick points. As released, data as released in testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, data presented by the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, talked about ICE Acting Associate Executive Director of Detention and Removals, Timothy Robbins, reported data to say that among people who have been arrested and are released by local sanctuary city officials, Rather than turning them into ICE, these are people who have final detention orders pending, final detention orders pending, turned over, not turned over to ICE, and in fact released, between 40 and 80% of them go on to commit more crime. So we're spending our tax dollars, burdening citizens with the kind of crime committed, which includes everything from minor theft to you know, child abduction, rape, murder, sexual assault, these are, these are people who were incarcerated for a reason, who were subject to a final deportation order for a reason, but were finding ways and tricks to keep them in the country, and all they do is continue hurting the American people. And this is a policy defended by the American left. And I, I have a friend who always tells me, don't call them the American left. It's the anti-American left. If you set out to destroy a country one of the primary things you would do is abandon the borders, let everyone in, as Ilhan Omar encourages and Bernie Sanders advocates. Let everybody in, let them all come here, it doesn't really matter. And then you protect them so you, they have no legal right to be here, no citizenship or any other legal status, but you keep them here, you spend tax dollars paid for by the American citizens who actually are legal, who do work, who pay taxes, those tax dollars go to defend the sanctuary city and county and states who are protecting illegal aliens. People, if you were trying to destroy a country, you would embrace the Democrat Party's agenda. That is not an exaggeration. If you are trying to destroy America, you would embrace the Democrat Party's platform and agenda. One last story for today. There was a poll. Now, I'm the first one to question polls, but there was a poll showing that if Hillary Clinton were running in 2020, 
that she would defeat Donald Trump. Now, I know a lot of my listeners that you're Trump supporters, and, and I am too. I'm so grateful for him. I, I'm grateful for his policies, his bravery, his taking the arrows for conservative policies, his willingness to push forward on, the, on his policies, regardless of the fact he gets no help from the Republicans in Congress. But this guy, Donald Trump, supposedly would be beaten by Hillary Clinton. Now, I will say this about that. Hillary's not in the race. I am sure she is contemplating it. She sees Joe Biden is inept. I think Joe Biden, is con- he continues to demonstrate to the American people he, is, doesn't ha- he doesn't have his clarity of thought needed to be president of this country. He's perpetually confused. Nearly every stop, often several statements in one speech, confused, not clear, not making sense. And so the Democrats are getting nervous. They think he's gonna be out. There aren't, the only other Democrat even making some, getting some traction is Elizabeth Warren. She's getting traction. Uh, oh, we, we didn't even talk about our um, Texas guy dropping out. Beto O'Rourke dropped out. Okay. I, I think that before long, you'll have other Democrats dropping out. You can't keep staying in in this election if you can't get traction. But Hillary Clinton is thinking about it. Please trust me on this. She's thinking about it. The election is one year from yesterday. That's when the presidential election is one year from yesterday. Hillary is you know, rubbing her hands together, thinking it through, should I get in again? She, people close to her have said, she, Hillary, feels called to run. She feels like it's what she's supposed to be doing. So she may get in, and I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna close this uh, show and turn to our Why It Matters to You segment by saying this. I love talking about America every day on this show. I love defending the extraordinary, unique greatness of America, talking about the policies that made America great. But there are millions and millions of Americans who grew up under this pressure of cultural Marxism, this advocacy in public school and in colleges and universities and in media and in the arts, everywhere you look, that mocks America as a repressive, imperialist, deeply racist, you know, hateful, xenophobic country. The left has bred hatred of America into a significant subset of the American population. The left has bred disdain and hatred of America and suspicion of your fellow citizens into the hearts and minds of many Americans. So Hillary Clinton getting in, which may happen, you may say, oh good, he beat her once. We have to be on our A game, on the America-loving, America-supporting, patriotic side of loving and protecting this country. We have to be on our A game every day between now and a year from now, or a year from now will be the day after the 2020 elections, doing everything we can to speak up for this extraordinary country, to support candidates who are standing up for the right things from the school board level to the presidency. We have to be in the American political conversation defending this extraordinary country because what the left has brought to this country and is bringing, is pushing, is truly the destruction of America. And now I'll turn to telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. We talked about on this show today, Ilhan, Bernie and cultural Marxism. 
The human heart embraces freedom naturally. It never embraces Marxism or socialism without deceit, manipulation, or pure brute force. Cultural Marxism, brought to you by the Frankfurt School and thousands of anti-American leftists, has been at work for decades in this country. This is the long march through Western institutions, falsely describing America as something to hate and destroy. Proof of the success of cultural Marxism, Ilhan attacks America, labeling it guilty of Western imperialism, and portrays white supremacy as rampant, and the Democrat crowd cheers. These are lies about America and American history. They're utter nonsense, but the true American history must be retaught. Decriminalizing crime, Texas and California, the most vivid, irrefutably successful cleanup of an American city in modern history, New York City under Mayor Rudy Giuliani with a broken window theory of policing. Start with the low level prosecute, crack down on little crimes and the big crimes will decline too. There is self-enforcing value to a citywide atmosphere of law and order. The exact opposite public policy is now being pushed in Texas and California. No prosecution of thefts below 950 in California, 750 in Dallas. The exact opposite results will follow in Texas and California. We excuse lawlessness at the lower levels and lawlessness will and is expanding at every level. A city, a state or citywide atmosphere of lawlessness will be cat a catastrophe for all of us. Policy matters, Americans must wake up. The price paid for sanctuary cities and why it matters to you. Taxpayers are funding state organized resistance to federal law and ICE efforts, societal costs of illegal alien crime and recidivism and educational costs and many other costs. A societal atmosphere condoning lawlessness harms everyone. There is nothing good or noble about such sanctuary cities or states. America pays a price for sanctuary city policies. Dems must pay a price at the ballot box for supporting them. And finally, the poll. Hillary defeats Trump. I didn't read you the numbers. It doesn't matter, but it seems that, that the poll said that will be true. Don't fear, but don't forget. Polls by the mainstream media are always suspect. They're trying to create clickbait and ratings. What your eyes see at Trump rallies versus Democrat events are not lies, they are reality. But turnout in 2020 will matter and the Dems leftist fringe will be motivated. However, just a good little bit of news here. Trump's November 1st rally in Mississippi paralleled results in Texas. 27% Democrats, 20% black Americans, 24% voted once or less in the last four elections. America is not, and I truly believe this, is not as evenly split as the mainstream media wants you to believe. But don't forget, Hillary apparently won the 2016 popular vote. Take nothing for granted. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Like this page on Facebook. I'd so appreciate that comment. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter. And most of all, tune in every day to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America, because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can We Talk? Truth About America.